as Rina said, Beit Hanan is a little tricky because here we are on the day before. Well, every day should start as Rina said. said I agree with you. The day, the day before Tisha B'Av. Thank you very much. Okay. And, um, and it's weird, she said, reading, reading Vat Hanan before Tisha B'Av. And uh, uh, I'm going to disagree because on the one hand, you're thinking of Shabbat Nachamu probably. That's, yeah, that, that's your association. That, you know, Vat Hanan is always, and it does come out always, Vat Hanan, Shabbat Nachamu. That there's like, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, that there's consolation. But what uh, many people do not realize is that the, the Torah reading that we read in Shul on Tisha B'Av is in Vat Hanan. Which is good for Gabayim, so they don't have to like, you know, roll, like they're, they're all tired on that day. But the, part, the Torah reading is from Perak uh, Dalid, Pasuk Chafei, begins Kitalid Banim, which is what we're going to learn today. And uh, also, it's, it's interesting to me, the notion of parenting comes up a lot in Parshat Be'et Hanan. It starts on Chaf Dalid with Kitalid Banim, with Bnei Banim. Right, if you'll have children and more children, etc., etc. Okay, and and this notion of parents conveying, communicating to children comes up a lot. Let me give you just two other examples. Okay, uh, we heard you're still here. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. What's another example? What famous, famous? There are two very famous things that appear in Vayet Hanan. Right. Right, Shema. One of the very famous passages in Shema is "Vishinantam Levanecha," and you should teach these words to your children. Another very famous parsha is like a famous parsha, but full of usually famous passages. Another famous, famous parsha at the end of Beit Hanan, "Ki Shalcha Bincha Machar Leimor Ma Haidot Rachukim Ramishpatim Ashetiva Hashem Elokenu Etchem," which is a reference to the things that we talk about in the Haggadah. Like what, what are these things that you're keeping? And then you say, Sound familiar? Right? right? That's from Parshat Be'et Hanan. This is a, I mean, chock full of great material, Parshat Be'et Hanan. And, but it's interesting that as you go through, you notice this theme of parents and children. And uh, so, of course, as we all contemplate dealing with our children for the next month without the benefit of... Well, some of us without the benefit, more of us without the benefit of Gaitana. Okay. Um, this notion of parenting, I think, comes into play. And, I, I, and I, so I want to sort of discuss one of the interesting messages that comes out of this parasha of Kitalid Banim Ubnei Banim and uh, see where we, can, where we can take it. So I want to start with a, with a sort of a lesson, a very, very interesting lesson that we heard from the Minister of Science. Uh, in the Knesset, in the government of Israel. The Minister of Science, his name is Professor Daniel Hershkovitz. He is the head of, I think, what is it called? Bayer HaYehudi, I think? Like the new Maftal. So we were at this conference, and, uh, and he gave us his normal stump speech. He was a really good speaker, speaker, wasn't he? He was very good. So he said the following. Was it at a conference? It was at a Sohar conference. We were at the Sohar conference, and uh, Dr. Hershkovitz came, because he's a Knesset guy. And it was clear that he uses the same speech over and over again, but he like tailors it to different audiences. And he spoke about very interesting. I don't remember the names. He's he's a by profession he's a physicist, I think, or something a like that. Mathematics professor. He's, right, he's a professor of math. He's really you can see he's a really good teacher. And he said that 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 when when the original idea of propulsion came about, you know, he said let's say you blew up a balloon, right, and you let it go, right. So if you blow up a balloon, let it go. What happens? It flies. But what if I want to let it go? If I blew up a balloon, I wanted to let it go, and I wanted it to hit you. Like, what are the odds that it would? Act, I would let the balloon go, and it would hit you. 
Very low. Thank you. Why? Because the problem isn't propulsion. The problem they found was one of stability. How do you find come to, st- to create stability in a system? So he went on and on. He told me very well. I'll, I'll tell it very briefly. He said there was a mathematician in the 1800s that d- he, he, he discovered the, the solution to the problem of stability in systems from some scientists that went to some crazy island, like some, one of the Galapagos Islands. And on the Galapagos Islands, they found uh, a group of snakes that they really, really liked. Like a, an indigenous group of snakes that were just these amazing snakes that were indigenous to this particular island. And the snakes... They lived on this. They fed on these mice. So they said, "You see, it was a classic problem of balance. Very interesting problem of balance." He says. So on the one hand, he said, "The more snakes you have, right, the hungrier they are, and the more mice they eat." Unfortunately, though, if they have too many snakes, what happens to the mice? Right, they eat the mice up, and then they all die out. So how does how does nature compensate in order to prevent the snakes from dying out? He says, interesting that he found that there was a bird, some kind of owl on the, spotted owl, on, that also lived on the island, that when there were more snakes, the bird fed on the snakes. Right. Says, and in that way, right, the snake population was limited, and they didn't eat up all the mice, and that way the snakes prospered. So he said, it's very interesting, what they discovered was, that counterintuitively, the way to allow a species to prosper is to kill it is to hold it back. The way you, I mean, he said on airplanes, the way you have, have provide stability in a system is by providing counterweight, a drag. You know, he said, like, you ever have, like, a kite, and then there's no, like, if you don't have a tail on it, it'll just, like, fly out of control? So he said, you put on, he didn't say this, but it's true, anytime you, you put a counterweight holding it down, that provides a level of stability. So he says, in every system in nature, the way you allow that system to thrive is, in a sense by holding it back. Now, I want to think about that. In the Maybe that's why we've, I mean, that is why, but we've survived throughout the years when there's no more Romans, no more, you know, all these empires that are so big, because we've had the toilet to, in a way, hold us back from our desires. And I'm going to say because people come and try to kill us all the time. <laughs> that's, where, that's much closer to where I was going to go. <laughs> That's much closer to where I was going to go. And I think that this exactly. is a... True. Yeah, it's a very interesting perspective or a very, I think it's a very interesting um, idea to contemplate as we're about to enter into Tisha B'Av. On the one hand, where you say, why have the Jewish people survived? And in some ways, thrived and prospered. You know, he says, any system, anytime you have an, uh, a group of people that if it... it We'll see, we'll see in the Chumash. We'll talk about it. And then I want to talk about it in terms of our roles as parents also. Because this idea of parenting comes about in the Parsha also. And I'm, I'm just I'm curious about it from that perspective. So says the Torah. Very interesting. Moshe Rabbeinu is in the middle of... A, like, it's just a long speech. I, I, I've read this a few times. I find, a hard t- I find it difficult for me to get a sense of coherence in the speech. Like that there's a theme. And obviously Moshe has a theme and it's divinely inspired and all that. But it's hard to just sort of pin it down. Says Moshe the following. Kitolit banim uvenei banim v'noshantem ba'aretz v'hishchatem. Aman perek dalid pasuk chapei. And the reason I'm reading this is because this is, as I said, the Torah reading for, that we read in shul on Tisha B'Av. Oh, really? Yeah, this week. And it happens to be, lucky enough, this week's parsha. It's not always? No, it's always read in, on Tisha B'Av and it's always this week's parsha. It's always Tisha, Tisha B'Av always falls out on Be'et Hanan. 
Right? Always, always, Vedchanan is Parshat Nachamu, and we always read Kitolid Banim from Parshat Vedchanan on Tisha B'Av. Okay. Kitolid Banim, Uvnei Banim, Venoshantem Ba'aretz, Vehishchatem, Vaasitem Pesel Tmunat Kol, Vaasitem Hara Be'enei Hashem Elokecha Lahachiso. Okay, this pasuk is troubling on many, many different levels. Let's translate each word. Ki tolid banim uvnei banim. Okay? What does the word ki mean? When. Right. When you have sons, when you shall. Laholid, give birth, God willing. Right? To sons and grandsons. Vinoshantem ba'aretz. What's vinoshantem? Noshantem. From what word? Hisha'en is with an ayin. What word is the root of Venoshantem? From Shena, sleep. No? That's a good guess though. What? Vashanen. Oh, from Vishinantam. Very interesting. Okay. Venoshantem is from the word Yashan. Bachaltem Yashan Noshan. Oh, you see it? Someone says that. Venoshantem. Venoshantem, my understanding is from the Lord, you shall be there a long time. From Yashan. And you become old in the land. Vehishchatem. From Shachet. You shall become depraved. Vaasitem pesel t'munat kol. And you will make like, any kind of image or picture. Vaasitem hara be'enei Hashem elokecha l'achisau. And you'll do evil in the eyes of God. Okay, what is the most... You want to... What's the most troubling word in this... In this in this pasuk. I need another book. I'll get it in a second. Chazal struggled, the rabbi struggled with one particular word in this, in this pasuk. Extremely troubling. To me it's key. That's Correct. Happen. Correct. Absolutely right. It's not im tolid banim, or I should say, ki tolid banim, vunei banim, vunashantem ba'aretz, im hashchitem, if you, right, if you become depraved. It's not that. It says, Kito lead banim. But how do they know which version of ki to use here since it's used in so many ways? Okay, what else could it mean? Because? It's, it's when, it's because. What else is it? There's four of them. Can it be right? if? Can it be if? If? Conditional statement? I don't remember. I mean, ki el If you come to the land... Well, that one is when. But, right, when. But there are different uses, like I was saying. Normally it means if. What do you think it means here? Let's look at Unculus, Are. What's Are? When. Kasha. Right. Everybody understands it as when. Why is that a harsh word? Yeah. I mean, no choice. no choice. Doesn't sound like there's much choice, does it? So you're. you're well, it could be when you give birth. <laughs> Array is key. Array is key. What's that? It's not Kashi. Array is key. Array is when? No? Well, look at the passage before it. Yes. It says Array there too. Because. Ki, Hashem elokecha, esh ochla. Four, right. Hashem is. It's a consequence. It's not mipnesha. But this is a consequence because of the future record. No? No. We're just talking about the future now. When. Ki tolid bani wibanim. When you should have many children. And you are long in the land. Okay? And then you... He said, Moshe Rabbeinu is sort of saying, this is going to happen. And there's nothing you could... Yeah? Maybe the key is for... Vahoshantem, you mean? No. Yishchatem. 
Maybe it's, it's so that, you'll, you'll be in a land have lots of children, and when you start doing, you know, idol worship, then right. That's particularly troubling because what, what if we don't? It's a warning. I don't. I'm not sure what the is. It's a warning. When? You don't, you, don't, you don't understand the problem? I see what you're saying. You're saying that it's... Well, imagine if your son goes out and you say to him, when you get in trouble today, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Not the kind of message we like to send. I mean, you know. Parenting lesson number one. Don't say that. Right? Isn't that what it's... I mean, isn't that what it's saying? When you sin. When you are in the land long, you will sin. But I should deal with this. This is not, I'm not, uh, this is not my own thing. Yeah? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. So how do you... Maybe, maybe, maybe the title to do with Zara is, is the when, and the actual acting upon it is not necessarily um, a given. Oh. Or who acts upon it? Which generation? I mean, but somebody will. One of the generations will, but it's up to you which one. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe she recognizes that... The, yeah, but it will, there will be a Zara because there will be... It's troubling. It's troubling. I'm saying maybe, maybe the when is... Maybe the given is that the, is that the desire to do is there but not necessarily acting upon it. Is that what he said? Mm-hmm. Is that what the Pasuk says? Sometimes there are many things that between the lines of the Pasuk. Yeah, I agree with you, but the shot is... The shot is that you will do. It's a, tr- it's a troubling Pasuk. Look at Rashi. Rashi's even... Even more surprising in a sense. Look at the word vinoshantem. And Rashi raises an issue that's a very, very, I think, interesting issue that has to be discussed. Vinoshantem. Says Rashi, Ramazlahem, it's a hint, a remez, Shiglu mimena, Lesov Shmonamiot, Lechamishim Ushtaim Shana, Kiminyan Vinoshantem. The word Vinoshantem implies that the Jewish people will be exiled from Israel after 852 years. What's the gematria of Vinoshantem? Is it 800 and... I mean, you do the... Do the right. Figure it out. 862. Is it? Vinoshantem. Vinoshantem. Oh, no, Mem. Mem and 12. 852. All right. Okay. Kiminyan Vinoshantem. He counted right. But who but it didn't happen that way. But they only they didn't get eight hundred full eight fifty two. They were only they only wanted to galut they wanted to galut eight hundred and fifty years, not eight fifty two. Okay, and God made it happen two years before Venoshantem. Why? So that it would not fulfill the notion of avod to Let's go on one pasuk. Let's go back and then we'll go back to Rashi. Tavav, haidoti, I testify b'chem ayom et hashamayim v'ta'aretz. Okay, I am, I am, I am bringing in the heavens and the earth to testify. Where else do we see, by the way, that idea of haidoti shemayim v'aretz? Hazinu. Right. This notion of bringing in the heaven and the earth to testify it implies I want this is as as sure and as solid and as Permanent. As true, as permanent as the heavens and the earth, this is a truth. What? Ki avod tovedun maher me al haaretz asheratem ovrimetayardein shamali rishta. Right. When you worship idols, you will be surely lost. Lo ta'arichun yamim aleha. You will not have long days on it. Ki hishamei tishamei dun. 
you will surely be destroyed. Okay, it says Rashi. Let's go back to Rashi for a second. Why did Hashem exile us two years before Vinon Shantem? Correct. If we would have made it all the way to Benoshantem, then Benoshantem was true, then Avotovedun would have had to be true. Rashi says, ki Avotovedun. We didn't want to get to complete and utter loss and destruction. Korban Beit Hamikdash was enough. Right? We don't want it to be total. Rashi continues. Vizel This is a very interesting pasuk. We're going to look at it in a second. God brought this evil upon us. Because is God is righteous. Look at the end of Rashi. Unbelievable. God did us a tzedakah, a favor. That he brought the Chorban two years early. Sounds like Rashi is one of the Mifune Gushkatif. They all have this. Yeah, go ahead. That it Take it away. Like, that it's like, you know, and, and Hashem has his plans, you know, like they're talking about destroying the houses of Sadiqim instead of the Sadiqim. I mean, it's. And Rashi himself did go through terrible tragedies with the Jewish people mm-hmm. to be able to look at something so horrific and to see Yad Hashem to me is incredible. Is that what you thought it was going to be? No, yeah. No, it's just, it's, uh, yeah. So there's this underlying theme when we approach tragedy that even in tragedy, and that especially in tragedy, Hashem is doing us a favor. That there's kindness in tragedy. And I want to sort of use this time to kind of wrap our heads around it. And that's why I introduced the whole thing the way I introduced it. That, you know, how many of us would have said, oh, tzedaka ase imanu, right? Yeah, I, I, I would have pushed it off two years, but I'm doing you a favor and bringing destruction of the Beit HaMikdash and all the Jewish people and the inhabited land of Israel two years early. Because otherwise you would have been totally destroyed. Otherwise you would have been totally destroyed. So in order to avoid total destruction, right, I had to bring destruction a little early. This is, a, this is a, it's actually Rashi's quoting from a Gemara in Sanhedrin. He alludes to it. So the Gemara in Sanhedrin says the following. Says the Gemara. Very interesting. Okay. There's actually a Gemara before it. Yehuda v'chizkia b'nei Rabbi Chia. Yehuda and Chizkia, the sons of Rabbi Chia. Havayatve b'su'udata kamei Rebbe. They were sitting in a meal before Rebbe. V'lo avo kamei v'lo midei. They don't want to say anything. They're sitting in this meal and they're just quiet. You know, that awkward silence. Okay. What? Right. So he says, I'm going to give you a little wine. Maybe you'll say something. Right? You know, get them a little, uh, whatever. Loosen the tongues. As soon as he got them a little um, loose, right? Like uh, spiced. They opened, they said, David Right, when will Mashiach come? Mashiach will only come when two houses of Israel are destroyed. This is after the destruction. This is after destruction. So they're sitting in front of the Nasi and like they didn't say anything. Why wouldn't they say anything? Well, they didn't have anything nice to say. So he got them a little drunk and he said, yeah, tell me what you wanted to say. Tell me what you really, what was on your mind? 
and they, and they said we're never going to Mashiach is never going to come until you're destroyed until your house is destroyed and he wasn't so happy about that you're like you're sticking thorns in my eyes ouch okay okay Rebbe said don't be so upset right said Yayin the, the gematria of Yayin is 70 what's the gematria of Sod of Sod Samech Vav Dalit 70 Nichnas Yayin Yatsa Sod have you ever heard that phrase Nichnas Yayin Yatsa Sod right when wine goes in secrets come out today. so if you ever want to know what hasn't got you for your birthday get drunk okay um, next story Amar Rav Chizda Amar Mar Ukva Va'amrila Amar Rav Chizda Darash Mari Barma my dichti, what does it mean? Vayishkod Hashem al hara'a, vayivieha alenu ki tzadik Hashem elokeinu. Like that God brought the evil because God is righteous, because God is a tzadik. Yishum the tzadik Hashem, vayishkod Hashem al hara'a, vayivieha alenu, because God is so good, because God is so nice that He brought the evil upon us. The Gemara says, in. In means yes. Tzedakah asa kadosh baruch hu in Israel, shehigdim galut tzidkiyahu. There were two periods of exile, the Galut of Yechanya, right? You remember from Megillah Esther. Whatever, right? It mentions the Galut of Yechanya. And then later on, there was the Galut of Tzidkiyahu. Okay? The Galut of Yechanya was the Galut of the leadership. The galut of the tzaddikim. What do they do when they got to? What do, what do righteous people do when they get to a new land? Set up yeshiva. Right. They set up, but they set up infrastructure. Okay. And therefore, galut galut So they were these. It was a reference to all the tzaddikim, all the rabbis, basically that yichanya exiled. Okay. And for that reason, it's considered righteous. So there's this theme that, 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 that appears in Chazal, that punishment is in some ways uh, a form of compassion, a form of goodness. You know, you ever heard that, you know, this hurts me more than it's hurting you? Mm-hmm. You, know? mm-hmm. you never said that? <laughs> Not yet. What? Parents. You heard it from your parents. <laughs> Growing yeah. up. So, so we, don't, we swear we would never say that, right? But, but there's a truth to that. You know, like you, you know, what parent likes punishing their children? But what's the key? The key is, unless you punish your children, they won't learn and they won't grow. Right? It's impossible for them to grow without punishment. And I think it's such an interesting thing. This force of nature is such. Right, that you know, sort of. It, it, um, the more I think about uh, Professor Hershkovitz's example, the more powerful it is. That in nature, forces they want to grow, and sometimes that growth is bad for them. Right, this desire, the natural desire to grow, is unhealthy because it's it's not held back by any sort of like you said. Oh, well, we have the Torah to hold us back. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Right, Some, you know, sometimes that desire to grow is not always it's not always limited in the right way, in the healthy way, in the healthiest way. So even though we we think that punishment is necessarily bad, and it's holding us back, 
in a sense, it's allowing us to grow in the right direction. It's like the seed that uh, rots before the flowers. As part of nature, like uh, if you watch the seed, you think it's going in the wrong direction. Oh, we lost it. It's not gonna, not gonna take root. But then, in order to grow it. Am I wrong? That's no, you're right. Some fourth grade or something. Right. Everybody's quiet today. It's okay. I'm getting it too. <laughs> so, and I think it's a very sort of somber kind of idea. You, you know what I'm saying? It's very hard. Like, let, let here for those who are not in Yad Binyamin, like you feel the Gerush very powerfully. I don't know about you. It's just like being in shul and being with you. Just feel it, and it hurts. It's very painful. But hopefully, like oh, the people, you know, we never heard a talk last night about this woman who was so, like, saw, saw the, what did she say? She said it was so, you know. No. Yeah, I'll like to What? I wanted to go to Yeah, go ahead. Just, no, to, you said, no, you said that she's, like you said, it was, you know, the, the houses of Sadiqim were destroyed. Well, and she it's didn't the say that last night, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Right. And it's very... Like, I wouldn't say this about somebody else's house. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but you have to... But, but Chazal teaches this lesson of the suffering that we go through is a healthy suffering. It's, it was there for a reason. It's not wanton and, and, and useless, in a sense. And that's a very thing, difficult thing to struggle with. So on the one hand, isn't it? No, I'm thinking you could say the same thing about the Holocaust, except that... I was going to say that, but I didn't want to. So it's, so re- it's more recent than, say, you know... Chormabite. Chormabite, it, it, it's, it's been, it has a lot of sense to it, but if you think about it in terms of growth, that maybe the Jewish communities were growing so large in Europe that, you know, the Holocaust in the end did result in the state of Israel. Right, it's undeniable so, that the Holocaust was, a, not, was a catalyst. I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm just saying, if you can if you look at it in terms of... Would you trade a Holocaust for a state of Israel? Right. But are the Jewish but are the Jewish people better off afterwards? You have to answer that. What do you mean? You, you, it's like, well, I, I think you'll say because of the state of Israel, you couldn't have another Holocaust because Israel now has the ability to. Um, and then an Iran comes along and reminds you that you could, but except, okay. Except that, except that Israel now has a way of defending itself. What? Except that Israel has a, has a way of defending itself, but no did during the times of the Holocaust or, or other, other. Hold on a second. I'd like to clarify just a comment on that. Israel has a way, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's going to work. Doesn't mean they will. And doesn't mean that they. Is this a problem? Yeah. What? Sure. <laughs> It's a pro Yad Hashem shir. Do you understand what I'm saying? Meaning that the notion of saying that because there is a state of Israel, that means there can't be another Holocaust, is a, I, I totally disagree with. Because you have to rely on Yad Hashem. Yeah, you have to rely. Meaning, if you want to take into the mystical that there's going to be a third rebuilding and it's never going to be destroyed, okay, we're well, waiting for that Beit Hamikdash. Take your into consideration uh-huh. as well, and I'm not saying that that overpowers God's ability to destroy. You know. Part or any part of the Jewish people, but it does. What do, you, what do you do with the pasuk of Maher They had it. They controlled it. They were there. They had an army. They had a, they had a country, and they lost it. You know, to think or to be so overconfident to say that it couldn't happen again, I think is overlooking the message of the Torah. You know what I'm saying? What, what do we have that that they didn't have in Bayit Rishon? So they don't have a Vodazara. We don't have a Vodazara. We have other huge issues. That, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean... And I think that's why there is an Iran. 
No, I agree with you. There is not a certain finality of Israel will always be okay from, from here on in. And we've seen that there have been, you know, troubles ever since in the 1948 as well. Right. And if you also take a look at, at I think, more issues in terms of Osiris, in terms of, you know, just Jews having problems in Russia or Argentina or, or Ethiopia or wherever it is, mm-hmm. and the number of Jews that have been saved since the Holocaust because of the state of Israel certainly probably doesn't know with even out the numbers of the six million, but since then in terms of Oh, I totally agree. I think that the Holocaust was a was a terrible destruction. Terrible destruction. I mean, like, I, you, know, you don't even need me to think that. Everybody knows what the Holocaust was. But without the Holocaust, there would not have been a state of Israel. Right? And, you're not, and you're not talking about, you can't equate it in quantity of lies. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But the Jewish people, as a people, took a, a, a huge and, and, and unbelievable leap forward in its and its identity in, in, in every way, in every, in every aspect that was, that's, you know, that's in, incomparable to the Jewish people before the Holocaust or before the State of Israel. So it's almost like it's, it's painful to think about why is it that we had to go through this terrible, terrible, terrible suffering almost in order to take that huge leap forward, which we would not have taken otherwise. But nonetheless, there we see it. It's that problem again. What happens? You know what I'm saying? There's this process. So let's go back to the Pasuk and look at it and see what happened. Like, why, why, why is it a sort of natural consequence? Okay? So, go ahead. This element of Nechama after a tragedy, that there's something that really comes out of it. So even if you take like, the first one, for example, the Mabul, you know, you still have, like, after the Mabul, there was, like, you know, the rainbow and the promise of things being better after that. Like, mm-hmm. there are tragedies, but it does sort of redirect the people into doing, you know, it, you know, is the light brighter after the tragedy than it was beforehand? It's hard to say, but it's, you know, but things do get redirected towards something good. There is some type of Hold on. You got to think of something else. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he said it's about Yash here. Okay, so I'm into this, uh, this Rav Kook book, because he actually explains what the heck Rav Kook is talking about. This is a very, very good book. I gave a shear on it in America before we left. Rav Kook's second chapter of Orot, his second like, section, is called Milchama. Okay, so he says, like, war is like a really, really troubling phenomenon. So Rav Kook says something very interesting. Okay. V'acharkach, after war, Kitom Hamilchama, at the end of the war, Mitchadesh Haolam Biruach Chadash, the world becomes reinitiated, renewed with a new spirit. Viraglei Mashiach Mitgalim Biyoter, and the wheels of the feet of Mashiach are more revealed. Ulafi Erka Shel Godel Hamilchama Bekamuta Veechuta, the bigger the war. The greater the expectation or the wheels of redemption in that war. Little war, not so much redemption. Big war, big redemption. This is exactly that same idea, the same theme. Right? That you have this growth, growth, growth. It has to be like smushed down. Think of your challah. Right? Why do you pound the challah? I never understood that. Right, it grows, it grows, it grows. Pound it down, and then what does it do again? Why do we pound it? Do you have any idea? No idea. It rises more next time. Yeah, 
So you're saying pounding it makes it better. It sounds so familiar. This thing keeps coming up and up, over and over again. You know, I'm, but I'm serious. It changes the whole texture of the dough. It's quantitatively better, as opposed to if you had just put it in the oven. Then it would have been lighter and fluffier. What? Right, but isn't that interesting? You're pounding it just to rise it again, just in, but a different way. Uh, no, no denying whatsoever. Okay, what happened to, to the Jewish people? Let's look at that word "venoshantem" again. "Venoshantem ba'aretz." Okay, you shall have children and grandchildren, and you should become that word "venoshantem." What, what, so, what happened to the Jewish people? And it says "vehishchatem," and you should become depraved. Why is it taken as a given? that the Jewish people, or whoever, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, however many generations, will become depraved and worship idols. Why is that taken for granted? It's like almost unfair in a sense. I thought that part of that we said a couple weeks ago, we were talking about that the, um, their worship of Avodah Zarah was because they hadn't kicked out everybody who is there. Right. So this is sort of predicting in a way that they're not going to kick out everybody who's there. Like a which is also not. Okay. But it's not, but it's not referring to that. The word, what does Vinoshantem mean? Like, I, I love that word. Vinoshantem means like old. You know what I'm saying? You're like Yashan. But the idea of oldness speaks to me of like becoming gentrified. You, you know what I'm saying? Now, when you become old and gentrified, you, you sort of take things for granted in a sense. I think that was always, there was always this sense of taking things for granted. Right. I mean, we see this in the Shema. We see the Shema also in the Baha'i Shemo. It says a, a, like a, a number of times. This is the classic conundrum of success. You establish a presence in a place. Right, so in, whenever you're in busy building and trying to establish the presence, there's the energy and the and the vitality and the struggle of the of the building that in and of itself really occupies you. But now you're like, and I think America's very much struggling with this now. You're like, you reach the top. What do you do when you're at the top? Like you know what it took you to get there. And by the way, America, just as an aside, what are the chances that America would have been the economic power it was without World War II and the Great Depression? Anyone here a student of 20th century American history? What are the chances that America would have grown to become the world power it had without World War II and the Great Depression? Not much. Just like, but I digress. Okay. Um, um, and you, okay, you're there. You're, you're, you're like, everyone admires you. And, and you're, so what happens when you become, how should we say this, wealthy and sort of you take your wealth for granted and set in your ways? What happens? Why? You take it for granted. You get greedy. Right? You start to you start to assume that the reason why you you're successful is because you deserve to be successful, and you forget the hard work that got you to a certain place. I mean, we came from Michigan. Michigan was suffered terribly from this 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 phenomenon of. Yes, I'm supposed to be a blue-collar worker, and I'm supposed to sort of, you know, work my eight hours on the line for 20 years, and 
be able to pay off my house, have great vacations, have a summer home like on the lake somewhere with a boat. Am I exaggerating? Not at all. I'm not exaggerating at all. Right? These are what the unions negotiated with them over time because they had worked hard in the 50s and 60s and even the 70s. And then they were coasting. And this mentality is destroying, still destroying the state of Michigan. Sorry for those of you listening in Michigan. But it's true. You, you know, anyone there would know that it's true. So what happens is you become, this is the, you know, this is the story of the second chapter of Shema. Right? If you listen to the mitzvah, then what's it going to be? What is Hashem going to do? Right? I'll give you plenty of stuff. And you're going to do well. What's the next words? Why are we going to worship other gods all of a sudden because we're doing well? Inspiration. Because we're doing well, Masha talks about this. As soon as you do well, what do you begin to assume? Yeah. Well, I worked hard. I worked the field. I, you know, I did that deal. And who do you think built this community? Joel, state, country. And then what happens? Hashem says. And then, then you get into, like, Avodah Zarah, very often is the worship, I would say, of the self or the indulgence, you know what I'm saying? The, the hedonism, pleasure, blah, blah, blah. Or whatever, however you want to describe it. We have our own Avodah Zarah. We're not subject, thank God, to that kind of Avodah Zarah. But we have our own problems. And then what happens? Venoshantem. It's such a powerful word. You're, you take it for granted. And then, Vihishchatem. You become depraved. And then... Like, it's almost, in a sense, I, I think it's unfair for Hashem to say you don't have free choice. But in a way, on a, when you take it as a level of the system, of the whole group, sure, there are always going to be individuals that say, no, they're going to be leading the way, and they're going to say we shouldn't do it. But as a whole, what are the, is it possible for an entire community to avoid the pitfalls of nature? Is it possible? Then you're saying there's no free will. No, there's free will as an individual. But, like I always think about things in terms of, how should we say this? Um, waves. That's, how, that's really how I think about things very much. That, you know, like think about it in terms of, 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 of your own life. And I think about in terms of my life. You have, we have periods of, of, Productivity and of energy, like where you really feel oh, things are good and I uh, made the right decisions and everything's okay, and then like then you have periods of lows, like where you you don't, and what am I doing? And it's not going to work out. And how are we going to manage? Etc. Etc. Right? And our goal, obviously, is to try to keep the waves shallow. You know what happens when a person's like this? That's mental illness. What? Then they're unstable. Yeah. But these are natural waves. This is the way Hashem created us. And you see them in, in so many different, like in the forces of nature, you see them in so many different other aspects of life. You see, you know, companies go and do well and then, you know, falter. Countries do well and falter. But people are like that also. Right? Is it fair to expect the Jewish people, was it realistic, for a, did a Baruch Hu expect, create us, expecting us never to sin? The answer obviously is no. So if we're going to sin, right, the job is to sin, but within reason. 
But as the, as the accomplishments grow greater, right, the potential for destruction is also greater. Right? As spiritual growth grows, the potential for failure also exists. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Meaning, I, I think it's sort of, it's frightening in a way. Like, how do you deal with this in, this, in the third? Yeah, go ahead. He says it in Echa. He says that same, um, in the first parak of Echa, he says that you fell. He says that not only in terms of the higher you rise, the, the lower you fall, but um, you fell so low that the the degree of falling is directly proportional to the degree of punishment. It like, takes it to the next step. Whatever I could do. Okay. I mean, he also, your Miao says that, says that in Nachamu Nachamu Ami. Right? What's his point? Because you suffered enough. Yeah. Yeah. It says, uh, that the Oyev was Gadol, like in direct proportion to the degree of your Okay. Good point. I agree totally. Uh, no, no. I think it's exactly the point. I think. Now we come to like, so what, like it's scary in a sense. Like, wow, I spoke you really made us feel good of you know, approaching Kishaba. But I think that one, there, there is a, a sort of mystical notion in Judaism about this third time. Right? That if we leave it to the natural state of things, right, then it is only natural, and I think in the Torah it says, Kitolid Banim, that there is these waves. Right? Growth, you know what I'm saying? Growth, decline. Growth, decline. Growth, decline. And as the growth grows bigger, the decline also has the potential to grow bigger. So, but the idea of Yemot HaMashiach is that the growth grows bigger and it's not a natural time. That in some way there's this, I guess, you know, Binyam Beit HaMikdash in a way that prevents us from growing back down, in a sense. How's that going to be? I don't know. You know, our hope and our goal is to build to the point where this is that time. And it's not growth decline. But it's growth and then we've, like at some point you like cross over the threshold and you're able to like continue to grow, continue to grow closer to Hashem. But in a way, the, the soul of the Noshamping. Yeah. The Noshamping is a difficulty because it's telling us exactly when they're going to fall. It's not really that much. I mean, the 850 years? Yeah. See, Rashi only said that like, you know, in hindsight. It's easy, even Rashi's time, to say 850 oh. and the word Noshamping. You know, but you want to say that there was a remez to the 850 years? That it was exactly that it was in there already? There should be some kind of freedom as to when they would fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear you. What's the 850? Through the end of the second Beit HaMikdash? No, first Beit HaMikdash. It took 400 years, and I think 400, they built it. How long was it? You know this. The first Beit HaMikdash lasted 420 years, 420, and plus they only built it only 400 years in. Mm-hmm. Or 430 years in. It was after the... 850 years after when they went into Eretz Israel. Okay? Now, um, I don't want it to be this depressing. Um, <laughs> right, it, it, I guess it is. It's like, uh, it's a little bit... Nine days. What? <laughs> right, nine days. Above. Now you sort of understand why you read it. I think that the, the, the goal then is to like use the Torah as our pullback to hold us back, which is, I think, the, 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 the most powerful idea, as opposed to, like, those are two options. Either you hold yourselves back, or Kaddish Baruch will hold us back. 
and we always find that that sort of tension. You know, what I'm saying you need that 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 pull in the other direction, and so either we we police ourselves, or the Rebona Shalom will police us. Now, I must say personally, just reading the newspapers, one does not get a sense that we are policing ourselves very well now. You know, and it, it's not particularly Israel, I would say. One just doesn't get that sense that we're sort of like we're supposed to be this example and people look at us in a certain way. We're not doing a very good job right now. You know, and, and that's a problem. It's a real, real, real problem. And it's a fr- that's a frightening problem for Judaism in a sense. Because, like, we have those choices. The Kodesh Baruch says, you know, it's your choice. You want to hold yourselves back? You want to with, with, withdraw and restrain yourselves? That's the ideal. But if you don't, I'm going to do it for you. And it's a sort of uh, a little bit of a frightening, frightening proposition as we contemplate the destruction of Tisha B'Av. Let's break it down a little bit more personally. I think that this is a, a, a very important lesson also for, for us as parents, in a sense. Like a lot of parents, and I'm not talking about anybody personally here, but I've encountered very much are afraid to discipline their children. There's a sense that Jesus recently had a conversation with a parent and they said, oh, you know, like, I'm afraid that if I tell my son you have to do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to be imposing on him and then they're going to be resentful of me. And I get a sense that a lot of parents nowadays, they really go too far in that way. I mean, like in America, it was very bad. You see parents who just were, A, friends with their children and were very happy to, like, set no limits and no restrictions whatsoever. You know, and it's a pain in the neck to set restrictions on children. I don't have to tell you. You know, why? And I want to. And all my friends get to. And it's I'm not, not fair. I'm not a friend anymore if you do that to me. Uh, That's great. I'm not a friend. Right. Right. That's absolutely right. You know, and I think it's also easier for us. We still are, we are in the young age right now. And I think it gets much, much harder to set those kinds of limits as our children will get older. Much, much harder. And there's seri- more serious limits. Yeah, we're looking around that table. Like like the right, no, no, no. No, you know. You, you know, but, but our children, I think that the message here is that our children thrive on the limitations that they give us. And not only that, I think psychologists will tell you they need it. And they expect it. But also they don't know their boundaries until ah. they've exceeded them. Ah. Children get security from knowing. But that's why it's hard to find. But the only way to boundaries. Two people at the same time. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, yeah, kids or people, generally, you only know your boundaries once you've exceeded them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then you only know what internal resources you've got to draw you back until you really need it Right, but the difficulty is when you've exceeded your boundaries, when you went too far, right? Do is there a mechanism yeah, in course. place? Yeah, that's that's when you draw your resources to bring you back. You, you have that that like low ebb, you're in a low ebb. You realize yeah. that you've done something that you shouldn't have done, mm-hmm. and you retreat. It's always harder to retreat. Though. Yeah. And to think about that and say, well, I shouldn't have done that yeah. and I should do it in another way. It takes a very big person to do that. Right, as opposed to some external force. If you haven't had a child's barometer to be that person's, that child's conscience, and to set those limits in, after that, you hope that it's an internal thing that it will pull them back, as you say. I don't know. I don't get a sense that kids who are bar mitzvah are at the point to make that. They're just not that. That's when they have to start making that transition. Yeah, I would agree. 
I mean, obviously, as a parent, you don't step back then and say, okay, I've done my, my bit. <laughs> but I think you have far less influence from that time onwards to uh, impose your limits and your restrictions. And you mean then it's less of an imposition, more of a value guidance? I don't know. You still can't have the keys to the car if you're not going to be back by 12 o'clock. No, of course. You know? Of course, but they have to start to be able to listen to their own inner voice at that age. Hmm. And I think it's up to a parent to instill that inner voice up until that age. Well, and after, but I'm saying that's, that's when you're going to have your most powerful influence on that child's inner voice. That's scary. We're almost done. You know, I'm <laughs> <laughs> it is, I mean, and I think that, that the goal is. Right, never to get to, to, to that point of Vinoshan Tembaaret. And I think that that was Moshe Rabbeinu's lesson. Like he said it almost as a done deal, in a way it was, but in a way it wasn't. Like if you're Kitali Banim Vinoshan like your goal is to have this sense of precariousness, that there's never a sense of deservedness, that it, it's coming to you. Right? That, that you, things have to be earned in life, both spiritually, materially, financially. The worst thing that you can do, like I always think about people who are incredibly rich. Like you think, like what a terrible thing to do to tell your child you are set. No matter what you do, you will always be okay. Right? That's a terrible thing to do to a child, because what that says to the child is, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. Now, you know, what happens to children like that? Unfortunately, almost like by and large, end up in trouble. Because the worst thing you could do is take a person's sense of purpose away. And I think maybe what you're trying to say is that, and I think that's a positive lesson, is to, is to not shy away from the confrontation or the punishment, but to instill in the child a sense of destiny that they have, that, they have, that their choices do matter, and that they learn to grow from the, from the periods of difficulty that they have, even if it's not punishment from you. Sometimes it could be friends, sometimes it could be a difficult, you know. Like, uh, I was never, Rena and I always had this debate, like, should we let our kids jump on the couch in dangerous ways or not? Right, you always have to set jump limits. Jump on the couch at all. What? Shouldn't jump on the couch at all. No, you were afraid, like, remember when they were jumping, it's going to fall, and whatever. That would be all that, yeah. I mean, within reason, though, like, you have to learn what you can do and what you can't do. Because the parent is always saying, you're, you're not going to fall. There's going to be a time where the parent is not there, and it's, and it's a really dangerous situation. The kid won't have learned limits about what's dangerous and what's not. And that experience is a very powerful thing. You know, obviously we didn't let our kids run in the street and say, well, you know, you might, you know, God forbid, things will happen. But the idea is never to get to that point of no shantem. There's always that, that this, this, this sense of growing and needing to learn and not reaching the level of settledness. And uh, maybe that's the lesson for us in, in, uh, on Tisha B'Av that we can take away from. As we ponder the, the suffering of the Jewish people, we also have to ponder the potential for growth. You know, and we, nobody wants to endure suffering, but you have to remember the suffering. And you know, it's very—I don't know about you, but I find Khurban Beit Hamikdash like very abstract. You know, most of Tisha B'Av is about Khurban Habayit and what was lost, and what was sense, what was lost clearly in a great sense, aside from the Beit Hamikdash, in the presence of the Rebbeinu Shalolam, like each time, what was lost was the Khurban of the nation of the Jewish people. Like the, the Jewish people as a nation was destroyed. We lost our country. We were exiled. We lost our sense of identity. And here we're living in a time where we have that. So, if if you confront the loss, like how would how would life be different if there was no Israel, if there was no sense of place, if we didn't like not just live here, not just have Eretz Israel as a place, but have Eretz Israel as an identity, have Israel as a as a part of who we are, as a powerful force in the world. 
And if we contemplate that loss and try to use that as a potential, as a spurring for growth, then maybe Tisha B'Av can be a little bit of a more uh, powerful, inspirational day. All right, we'll stop. <laughs>